bum bum bottom 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 bum
that comes out April 20th. But don't worry, we like, we really lean in heavily to Chris and Laura and say like, we need like a 75 issue epic people. We were like passive aggressively <laughs> pretending like Jana was never going to end. And um, and I, I think that if we had said it one more time, it would have breached on like bullying. Yeah. We were like bullying them. Like we need more Jana and Rainbow stories, please and thank you. Well, you know, what was interesting is like, you know, uh, Lisa and I have been Chris Somney fans for a long time. You can Amazing go back artist. to our best of, I think it was 2020 episode, our best 2020 episode. And we named Firepower like our favorite ongoing comic book of that year. And we love Firepower. We love, you know, his work with Mark Wade doing Captain America, Black Widow, of course, Daredevil. We love the the, the mighty Thor. Uh, and, 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 you know, I just, I was curious that he was doing Jonna and the Impossible Monsters with his wife, Laura. But for whatever reason, I was like, oh, it's an all ages comic. Yeah, it's not going to be my thing. And I picked up the first issue. I was like, oh, well, of course, it's a great comic. It's a Chris Somney comic. And then the second issue happens. And then the third issue happens. And then by like that fourth issue, I was I was like, is Jonna and the Impossible Monsters my all time favorite Chris Somney comic comic? And I think the answer is yes. And it's because it is this special explosion that comes out of their relationship, out of their family. The characters of Rainbow and Jonna are inspired by their own two kids. One is the bossy one and one is the like free spirit kooky one, I guess, um, which to me guarantees that they have to at least put out a couple more volumes and have a new character because they do have a third daughter. <laughs> and as a person who is a third daughter, I do feel <laughs> entitled to everything that my older siblings get. Oh, my goodness. Um, but in this conversation, we don't really spoil anything. No. We keep it super tight. Um, so if you have not started reading Jana, you can go ahead and listen to this conversation. You'll still have all of the beautiful surprises from that first volume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I like I mean it was killing us not to talk about the end of issue eight. It I was know. killing us. Lisa like went right up to the edge, but she pulled herself back. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I think you're, you're, you're totally comfortable to come into this conversation if you have not read these comics. And I know that after this conversation, you will absolutely seek out Jana comics. They will become your favorite Somni comics. So what they're about is two sisters on the other side of a catastrophic global event. This is a post-apocalyptic story. There have been these enormous kaiju popping up yeah. all over the globe, fighting each other, causing this devastation. And initially, Rainbow and Jana are separated. And we start the story with Rainbow trying to find her sister. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you know, like a, an apocalyptic quest kind of goes on from there. But again, it is an all-ages comic, and I want to stress that it is all-ages. It never feels like it is a kid's comic. It never feels like it is not appropriate for kids. This is one of those rare birds where... Anyone who likes stories can read it and enjoy it. Don't mention birds. Chris Somney is frightened oh, of birds. I'm sorry. Yes, that is one of the revelations that comes up in this conversation. <laughs> it is a tease for what you're about to hear, which I think you are going to really enjoy. We talk about everything Jana related. We talk about why this comic had to be their first collaboration as a creative couple. They were so kind. They were so generous. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this conversation. We know that 
we did. And we even like needle them for like tips about being a creative couple. <laughs> and it turns out you just have to be a cooler person than us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the trick. That's the trick, Lisa. So without uh, any further comment, here are Chris and Laura Somney. <laughs> Chris and Laura, thank you so much for joining us at Comic Book Couples Counseling. It is a true pleasure to have you here in our love nest. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Uh, Lisa and I, you know, we, of course, reread John and the Impossible Monsters before having this conversation with you. And we were talking about how over the course of its first few issues, we really folded that comic into our hearts. Like it's become one of our heart comics. We love it so much. Thank you. And we're kind of just, I think like where we wanted to start this conversation is with what about this particular story um, made it necessary for you both to collaborate on? You want to take this one? (laughs) Well, you can be honest. Yeah. That wasn't really the intention. I, I, I've always been the person in the background. Um, so really it was Chris had come up with the, um, you know, the idea by himself and he was at the stage where he was pitching it. And because I'm the behind the scenes person, I was, you know, typing up the pitch for him and we got to the point where he needed to kind of flesh it out to, um, you know, make it a real pitch. We were asked, he was asked for a more fleshed out version of it. And so as I was typing it with him, you know, my ideas kind of started popping in there And, you know, it was just going to be me throwing ideas out there until I kind of thought like, well, if he wasn't, if I wasn't married to him, I would deserve the credit as a (laughs) co-writer, you know, that just because we're married doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, my ideas weren't to be acknowledged too. So as we started working on it, it just kind of happened naturally where I just came on as co-writer. So really, you kept taking more and more. I kept stealing more of your ideas. Well, I mean... Things like, it just kind of grew into our book. It started out as just like my idea. And the more that we collaborated, the more obviously it wasn't just a one-person job anymore. We were doing it together. And I was like, well, I mean, you've already been the brains of the operation with everything else. Let's just make it official and you're a co-writer. Well, and normally I'm there to like fix grammatical mistakes and, you know, do that kind of stuff. And it became obvious that it was beyond just me, you know, correcting a few things here or there and it became more my ideas getting incorporated into the pitch and at that point it just kind of felt like it would be fun uh the first volume uh you dedicated to your three daughters and i've read that your daughters very much inspired at least the need for this story and i was wondering like when you were coming up with how like when you were coming up with a story with your daughters in mind how did that change the the creative process that's a good question. Well, I think I'm going to try not <laughs> to talk every time. Sorry. No, it's fine. I, this is our dynamic is that I'm the speaker and he's the quiet presence in the background. So <laughs> I'll let Chris answer when he... At least you have one quiet presence. In our relationship, <laughs> there is none. <laughs> well, sometimes it means I'm speaking over him. So, you know, interject Same. if you need to, Chris. But I think really the characters were felt more inspired um, by our daughter's our oldest two. And I think that's really where the, the idea came from um, in terms of how they, you know, the creative process and all that. I, I think that just having kids that we can kind of, you know, keep in mind when we're writing or when Chris is drawing um, has been really helpful. 
Well, and we've showed them like layouts of a page and we're making sure that kids are able to translate what's going on on the page, like the flow of it. If I'm doing panels that are a little cockeyed, I want to make sure that their eye is going left to right and it's reading the right way and it's not something confusing for them. But also, I just wanted to make something that they could enjoy. And there are a lot of middle grade books, but not by us. (laughs) I've seen a lot of them come into the house and they, they all really enjoy them, but I've, there's very few books that I've been able to share with them. Mm-hmm. I'm always working around them, but I'm not like, Hey, here's, yeah. here's a book that I did. You can read it. Yeah. I think there was, you know, part of the idea was that all of Chris's work until this point hadn't really been kid friendly. Um, you know, and a lot of it's not, not, you know, I mean, it's not inappropriate or anything. It's yeah. just, our kids aren't going to sit down and read, 35 issues of Daredevil when they're you know, six <laughs> years old. <laughs> so I think that it was also the idea that they see dad working all the time and now they can actually read that work themselves as opposed to, you know, us going, well, it's not really for you. Yeah. Um, so. And then when it, when we get comps and they come into the house, it's like an exciting thing. Instead of like, oh, here's a box of comic. I'm just going to go put it down. Yeah. It, it really like, kind oh, here's of, one for you and one for you. It really kind of solidified what he does for them, where it was just kind of this idea before. And now they actually get it. They, they watch him make it. They are part of the process and that they see pages before they go to, you know, they go to print and then they get to enjoy the finished product also. And they see us working at the kitchen table, <laughs> writing together. And then, yeah. you know, yeah, they've really, they've, they've gotten an inside view of comics here over the last couple of years. <laughs> so much so, I think our middle wants to do it. Yeah, I, th- I think oh, that's so cool. I think we've got one that's been bit by the bug. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Like, yeah. what what does all ages, like, that term mean to you? Because I feel like in comic books and books in particular, like, in the publishing world, it is so much more than, like, it's MPAA appropriate for a child. I, I really do think that there's like a point of view with all ages books. Well, we originally pitched it as an all ages with big quotes around it because I wanted it to be the kind of thing that everyone could enjoy, whether it's a little bitty kid or, you know, an older reader. I wanted everyone to be able to read it, but they've wanted us to sort of focus in on middle grade, but I want to be, you know, the comic book equivalent of Studio Ghibli or Pixar, Mm. just like something for literally everyone, literally all ages. Well, and I think it was also kind of important too that it was something that adults were going to enjoy with a child in their life instead of, you know, just pass there. I mean, we buy a ton of, you know, kids comics here and most of them we just hand over to the kids and say, enjoy. But the idea that you can also share that comic book reading experience with a kid was really important to us and the adults were going to enjoy it as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lisa and I, we're a child-free couple, uh, but Jonna absolutely speaks to us. I mean, and I think, like, it's easy to sell to people who don't have kids because it's Chris Samney drawing monsters. Who doesn't want to see that? <laughs> Chris wanted to do that. That was part of the uh, the reason behind the book, too, is that there was a, a need to draw some monsters that hadn't been met yet. Yeah, I mean, I started out, you know, I always wanted to draw superhero books when I was a kid. And then, for whatever reason, I was drawing, like, noir when I started my career and I was like Capote in Kansas. And then I went into area 10 and it was like dark black and white. And I was like, well, this, this isn't really what I set out to do. And I finally got to do superhero stuff. But then I was like, well, I want to do like, nobody knows that I want to draw monsters. Nobody knows like what, why I, I want to draw more than me. Yeah. So this is my chance to finally just do whatever I wanted to do. And it's like rocks and monsters and punching, <laughs> just, you know, go, go for it. Yeah. What I love about 
Jonna, is that it's a story about siblings. And I, Brad is an only child and the world has revolved around him since he was born. It's been great. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm a third of four. So I, I always like gravitate towards sibling stories and something that like accurately depicts that experience. And um, what I love about this story is that by Rainbow and Jonna not being like blood relatives, it shows that like family and siblinghood in particular is something that is greater than like DNA or just like consequence, like that there is like a commitment involved. And I, I was wondering how you kind of worked out their sibling dynamic. Well, I mean, I think family finds each other instead of, it doesn't have to be birth to be, you know, it doesn't have to be like blood to, to be family. And I mean, that's really well, and at the heart of it. Again, this is also really inspired by our kids' relationships with each other. Um, our kids are four years apart from the oldest to the youngest. Um, so they were all close together. Uh, over the last few years, they've had a lot of time together. <laughs> but they've had a lot of time together anyways. Um, and they just have a really close bond where, you know, I mean, there's squabbles and there's stuff like that. But they're each other's biggest supporters. Um, you know, they're, they encourage each other. And, you know, I, I personally thought it was important to see that kind of sibling bond in, you know, media because so often it's siblings who fight. Um, and I think that, you know, we imitate the things that we see around us and that a loving, you know, committed sibling relationship is something that is work. It is, you know, I mean, it doesn't always happen naturally. And I, I really like the idea of, them just kind of loving on each other and being close. Obviously there's conflict from time to time, but um, that really was inspired by our kids. Our kids are really close to each other and they take care of each other really well. And so that was kind of something we wanted to see portrayed. And it's fun to draw too, just like kids supporting each other. Like in 10 that I'm working on right now, there's just one panel where Rainbow says, way to go, you. <laughs> you know, and you know, and, it's fun to do, get to do stuff like that. I, I mean, I like drawing dark stuff too, but every once in a while, this is this is a nice change of pace. Yeah, I just, I like the idea of, you know, as a parent, having kids who get along is a wonderful gift. And I just, you know, wanted to see some of that reflected back in Rainbow and Jonna's relationship. One of my favorite scenes from the first volume is when Jonna just squishes two bugs without thinking about it. Like she just has this violent urge and she's just expressing it. And then Rainbow says, like, why would you do that? Like, in the context of the monsters, we are bugs. And what I loved about that scene is that when you have a sibling, there's always, like, this other perspective that you have to reckon with. And especially with the dad being missing and there isn't, like, that parental element, they are really teaching each other. And um, is that something you see? Do you ever just spot your kids like really giving each other some some perspective and teaching each other lessons? Well, our oldest is, she's 10 and a half. And if you asked her, she thinks she's the third parent in this mm -hmm. house. Um, so <laughs> that is a dynamic that we see with I, Chris and I are both youngest of two. Mm -hmm. um, so we weren't familiar with the oldest child <laughs> before having our own, you know, oldest child. And there is a lot of that kind of responsibility for, 
um, for your younger siblings and um, for, you know, just the idea that you, you might know better than they do. You might be in charge, even if you're not really, you might feel like you're in charge. Um, and I know at least in our house that that, um, that definitely that dynamic is there where our oldest feels like she, I don't want to say bosses the other ones around because she doesn't, but, but she likes to feel like she's in charge. Yeah. Well, Mom and dad went upstairs. I'm in charge now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, she, she definitely thinks of herself as, you know, mostly adult. Um, what? What is hilarious about that is I like I'm like I said third to four and my oldest sister now resents us for making her her be the parent so young and we're like ah we're pretty sure you volunteered we're like well, I was gonna say, we definitely have never put her in that role <laughs> but she's not that much older than the other two but she definitely you know puts herself in that role sometimes you know the story sort of like switchbacks on itself in a, at a few key points and how did you come to shaping the structure of the story and and specifically in how it relates to that relationship with the dad. Well, I wanted to make sure that it was still their story. Just like the through line is just the two of them and they're meeting their dad again is their goal. And I didn't want him to take over a giant part in the story because I just wanted it to be from a kid's perspective for the, from beginning to end. So we do have adults show up, but they're secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but I think we also wanted to remind readers that this relationship is, you know, what they're missing, that without seeing some of that interaction with their father, you know, what's their, I mean, I, of course, every child's is. motivation would be to be reunited with their parents, but we thought it was important to see some of that relationship so you can understand why they are fighting so hard to to get back to him. And what was the impetus of giving them gore and Nobi? I, I had they Chris just wanted to draw them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I thought somebody that looked like they had a helicopter blade on their arm would be cool. And Gore, I thought would be like, I wanted to have a giant eighties action hero in the book. And he's my Kurt Russell. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was thinking like, if, if a person who, unlike Jono, like is powerless, how would they go up against monsters? How would they fight them? And he, they would probably get pretty beat up. And so if in my sketchbook, you guys actually see the rest of the scars, but he only has one that goes through his face, but he has, it's like a monster's claw goes through the rest of his body. So his, his trunk has a giant scar across it too. He's, he's really just, he's beat up. Well, and, and I, I think also like having adult characters in an all ages book where adults are reading it is also you know, uh, just kind of a, a point of hey, reference. Look, we did this for you too. Yeah. Well, I mean, not yet, but you know, I, I, it's not totally fan. I mean, it's obviously totally fantasy, but there's also this idea of if these kids are moving through this world by themselves, surely there are adults around. And what would those adults reactions be to what's going on to seeing these kids on their own? Um, and just kind of having that, you know, that idea that, you know, everyone's children belong to everyone. You know, I mean, that, that, what is, what's the, the, there, there's no such thing as, you know, someone else's child, mm-hmm. you know, that if you're an adult in the capacity to help a child, you should be doing it. Um, and I think that that kind of played in, you know, besides wanting to draw helicopter arms and, <laughs> um, and smart faces. <laughs> um, the, the way I see them fitting into like the theme of family is like that one scene where Gore does something that to Nomi is reckless. 
And they have this, they've built this whole community around themselves. But she still says to, to him, like, how dare you risk leaving me alone? Like, yeah. they, you can be in a group. And if you don't have your family person there, you are still somehow alone. And that's why we have that, like, kind of seeking thing to, to create and reunite with that family feeling. Well, and they've all experienced loss. I mean, their their whole world has been removed from them. So in that case, all you have is your person or your people around you. And that's the whole point of the the campfire scene in volume one, where it's just like everybody has their own little groups, but everybody is together. And everybody has their own story of loss, but they're all they all come together, you know, to help each other. Um, right now we're being, we're being very good about not being spoilery, even though I have like so many questions, but, um, like we're getting towards learning, um, John as origins, but I still have a lot of questions about like Rainbow's origins and her dad's origins and where did their familyhood come from? Do Are we going to get any kind of, are we moving towards getting more answers? Lisa can feel the 12 issue <laughs> deadline hitting. Um, I, 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 there are some answers coming. There are also some things left open to your I, interpretation. I, yeah, I, and I think that's something that we've relied on a lot too is leaving things open to interpretation. Um, I Neither of us, of us are a fan of like spelling out you know, every detail behind something that we really do like people being able to see themselves, um, which, you know, the more you explain something, sometimes the less accessible it becomes. And, um, you know, so I think that some of those might be mysteries to answer in another series. Hmm. I hope so. I would, <laughs> I, I really would like a, a 13, a 14, a, a, a John, a number 50 and beyond. Um, you know, going back to your comment about uh, dealing with loss and how everyone around that campfire is, you know, going through their own traumatic experience. I think that's one of the reasons why this book hit me so hard at this particular point in time with everything that's going on in the world uh, to read Jana and see how all these different, all these different perspectives are dealing with something as dramatic as, kaiju mm -hmm. um was very relatable and i'm wondering what it's like for you two as creators to work through this fictional event while the world is the way the world is well it gets we started before all this yeah the, came into place but really it, it's i mean it's kind of strange how a lot of the things that happen in the book we can look in the real world now and see very similar circumstances. Um, I think that when we started this, I mean, Chris has been at this since like 2014. 2014. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the, the world has changed in so many ways in just that short period of time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, the bulk of it was kind of set to paper before many of the current events that, you know, I think might run parallel to some of the things going on in the book. And it just... I mean, it, it's, I don't even know how to. Well, I was just trying to, to make it so I didn't have to draw a whole bunch of right angles. And I was like, well, <laughs> why don't we just make it like post-apocalyptic? I like Akira. I like, you know, all these other things, you know, like I like Mad Max. Why don't, why don't we just make everything beat up so I don't have to get a ruler out? And then it's like, oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's so many parallels now that it, it feels almost like I 
had some sort of intuition, but I obviously or or that we were maybe even trying to make a statement about something that wasn't originally there. Of course, you know now you see the parallels, and I mean, I feel I feel like there there's a hopeful message through you know what we're doing, and I think that that's important. You know, in this day and age, that you know when I read the news stories about things that are going on, especially in Ukraine right now, you know, I think it's important to balance that with the hopeful parts of what's going on too, and that how humanity really can be a tool for good <laughs> when it's used that way um, in, in reaction to things that are happening. Um, so I, you know, I like to think that we at least have echoed that part of real world events too. Well, I mean, Lisa and I talk about uh, on this podcast all the time, when we read a comic or we watch a movie or read a book, it's really about finding ourselves in those stories and then pulling us out of the work. And I, I just, I, I guess what I really want to explore is what is it like for you in the creation process? How do you find yourself in the worlds, in the characters that you're creating? Well, I think for this one, you know, I mean, having it centered around kids that are inspired by, you know, our kids has certainly allowed us to approach it from, you know, we see how they operate, how we operate as parents and, you know, put some of those motivations into there. Well, and, and all of the monsters and all of the, the weird stuff that's in there is things that bothered me as a kid. So there's all mm -hmm. the, like, all the sticky stuff. I, that's cause I don't like all the sticky gloopy <laughs> stuff. I grew up, <laughs> we grew up, uh, I grew up in a log cabin and my parents had tons of different animals and stuff. And there was, pheasants and quail and rats and pigeons, ducks and geese. And there's all this gross business that I just did not like. There's the first animal that shows up is kind of like a chicken and kind of like a hawk, but it's like deformed and red and giant kaiju. It's because I, I grew up hating birds. My dad was a falconer and I didn't want, I did not like birds around. <laughs> I didn't like Basically. birds around. So, so like Chris everything. Is processing is, his childhood trauma through yeah. the monsters in the book. The, the, the all, the whole thing is just my own therapy on paper. So like, I thought eggs were really gross. <laughs> so like, the, they're headed towards this giant gross egg. It's, I mean, all of it is just like, it's all stuff that like, that I was just like, Ugh, oh, no. And now, now I'm processing all of it. Yeah. How has it been for you guys to like work together as a creative <laughs> couple? Because Brad and I, you know, we now do this podcast together as a creative couple. And it just turns out that if one of us is crying, usually me, it's because of something relating to this thing that we're making. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like when you collaborate with coworkers, it's like one thing, then you collaborate with your partner and you go like, well, I can um, hurt this person's feelings because uh, because oh, they love me. And the thing that we're creating <laughs> is like the you know we love it so much and, and we want it to be perfect and then we have to fight each other over it. I yeah, don't know. yeah, but, yeah. We've had a few. Yeah, there have been a few. Yeah, I mean, I think it it helps that our relationship has always been coworkers. We met working at a bookstore together. Oh, and, we did too. Oh, <laughs> Cool. Barnes and so, Noble. Oh, we oh, were quarters. at quarters. Hey! Uh, <laughs> the enemy. <laughs> so, you know, I do think it helps that we've always had this dynamic where we were working together. And then once Chris quit the bookstore, I took on the role of, you know, the invoicing, the bookkeeping, you know, all of that stuff that 
artists, no offense, are typically not very skilled at. Um, and then it's just my brain. Yeah, I know it's your brain. And then we got to the point where I could quit my job and just take over full time as that part of the business, the art sales and all that. So we've always had, you know, a dynamic where we were working towards the same goals for things. And um, I mean, generally I get my way if there's a if there's some sort of discussion just because nice. I tend to a more assertive personality. But the opposite of that tended to be true on Jana. And that's that um, since this originally started as Chris's vision and his, you know, his project, when it came down to it, if I felt like I had to fight, we went with his vision of it. Um, most of the time, there have been a few things that, you know, that I got in there, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, this was staying true to something he really wanted to spend his time on and do. And so there hasn't been, there's been some, some conflict, <laughs> um, but I like to think it's the conflict that, you know, creates a better story or creates a better book at the end. I mean, we're um, both fighting for the same yeah, thing. It's but, not like, do this because I want you to do it. It's like, well, we have to do this to sense. make the book better. Yeah. So that, you know, well, and also to push it forward. Also just, I think it's really nice having a collaborator because sometimes, you know, bouncing ideas off of another person leads you to a better idea. And, um, you know, I think we saw that starting with the pitch was that, you know, throwing my ideas in there allowed us to kind of, move things forward in a different way than if it had just all been Chris. Um, well, and when we were pitching it, you were like, do you think you have enough for a whole story? And I said, like, yeah, I think I do. I think I got it all figured out. And then we sat down to type it and I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> I got this whole first issue really locked in. <laughs> first issue is good. But. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that, you know, the conflict that's there is generally productive conflict. Um, we don't really... You know, I mean, I think that we do also because there are different, there's a different dynamic in a marriage. You know, I do say things to Chris that I would never say in a professional setting. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't because he's really kind about everything, but I tend to be a little bit more, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say bossy. But assertive, isn't that what sure, said? Sure. Assertive. Um, but you know, I, I think that in this case it's mostly worked out. We've also, you know, known each other for almost 20 years. So we've had time to um work out, <laughs> you know, how we do things. And uh really Jonna just kind of became an extension of what we were already, you know, how we were already working together. Have you have you found that you've had to create boundaries around when you are working and when you are not working or is it just kind of a fluid kind of environment? I mean, boundaries, honestly, mostly are just with the kids. I mean, we have, we had the whole outline figured out way in the past. We've got, we have, we have well, to work on script before the issues are done. We have to finalize scripts together and we do that over a weekend. Yeah. But for the most part, like I go up, to the office and I work and then I show her pages before I send everything in. Well, but also the, the pandemic has really changed that too, because, right, sure. you know, Chris was actually, he had office space outside the house before the pandemic. And, um, we decided to work completely out of our home once that hit. So we've also had kids that have been doing virtual school and homeschooling during that time. So home has really been work slash school slash home slash you know, where we are almost all the time. Um, so in that sense, sometimes we will have to kind of, you know, put work away for the day because when you work from home, it can always feel like you're working and 
it can also feel like you're never leaving home. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that we've had to kind of, um, you know, Chris is really good about, you know, going to his office and getting work done, but, you know, sometimes it'll be like, all right, kids, we have to talk about work right now. And, you know, again, our kids think that they're also making the book. So sometimes we'll have to be like, not right now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> This is not a place for you right now. What if they do this? No, that life's done. Yeah, we're done. Thanks for that. Um, So yeah, I do think that the boundaries over the last couple of years have been maybe a little more fluid than than is healthy, to be totally honest. Um, But you know, we're kind of working with where we are right now, and at some point they'll go back to normal. But yeah, it's it it can be hard to work from home and home from work. But I get a little hopeless now sometimes, which is I never had when I had to leave the house for it. I would imagine that, you know, Jonna being this family book elevates it in your own personal imaginations to something incredibly special and separate from the other comics work you've done, Chris. I mean, like, what is it like to then go on to something else and put this aside? Or like, do you feel the pull to Jonna like, like we do, and we like, want you to put everything else down. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, it's tough um, to bounce back and forth. Sometimes it takes me half a day to switch gears um, because I, I'll work on firepower for you know two, three weeks in a row before I jump back and do Jana. And sometimes it's like I get in a certain mode and I have to kind of switch out of it. Um, but once I start on one book and get into the groove, then I'm kind of in. It's the switch back and forth that's the hardest. Well, and, and I, I try not to think about Jonna too much while I'm doing Firepower because it'll get my gears all mixed up again. <laughs> I just I can't focus on too many things at once, just in general. But <laughs> while I'm while I'm working on a book, it makes it even harder. Well, and I think it's also kind of nice too to have something like Firepower that doesn't require as much of your mental space yeah your mental yeah. i mean you can you know robert gives you full scripts and you're working in a way that doesn't tax you as much like it's it is challenging to write and draw your own book and, well, and i'm second guessing myself every time i'm doing something on jana like is this the right panel to do next is it because we're talking about it and i'm thinking about it but with firepower once it's turned in and it's approved then i sink it and I don't have to think about it anymore because yeah. the story is written and that's out of my hands. Like, I don't have to worry about that part. All I have to worry about is making it look good. Mm. Yeah. It uh, is yeah. kind of nice to have something to go to that isn't as hard on you. Yeah, it's what I think about when I'm doing dishes. It's what I think about like all the time. Yeah. You know, it's, Sometimes you got to turn yeah. the brain off. <laughs> yeah. Laura, do you have the bug now? Like, are, are you guys, would you like to work on more stories or collaborate on more stories? Well, you know, I'm going to say that um, maybe. I I think the answer changes depending on where our kids are at. Um, You know, when Chris and I met, I was actually an aspiring screenwriter. And um, we put together a pitch for a book and it went nowhere, you know, 19 years ago or whatever. Um, So I think in the back of my head, this has always been kind of like, you know, well, maybe. Maybe one day I'll, you know, I'll get back to writing. Um, and having the kids at home for the last couple of years, it's been really challenging to have, you know, I mean, cause I already run the business side of things. So I already have a full-time job and then I have the kids full-time 
and then this, you know, writing on top of it. And putting up with me. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's, so there's a lot of, you know, it, it's, it's been a lot of work. Um, and as our, you know, our kids go back to school and they're six, eight and 10. So three years when we started this, you know, we still had essentially a toddler, um, you know, and as they go get older and grow more independent and they don't require as much, you know, physical care during the day, there certainly is a space in my head that opens up to be creative and to uh, dream of, you know, what I would like to do. We, we've thrown around a lot of ideas over the last 20 years. And there's a few that I still keep notebooks on. And I think, well, you know, if Chris has time to draw this one day, maybe. Um, so I'm not going to say never, but I won't do it during another pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's also true. Um, I hope this is the one and only pandemic I have to work through. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, but but it also sounds to me that you do imagine a future beyond 12 issues with Jana. Like you see a, a future for Jana and Rainbow. Well, I think that there's things to explore still. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know if the, you know, I don't, beyond that, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, right now, if we have the energy for it, to be honest. Um, and it's the kind of thing that requires a lot of energy. Um, but, you know, I think Chris definitely has I a have ideas, bunch sure. of backstory yeah. and ideas and all of that. So, but I just want to get this one. Done yeah. first. <laughs> I mean, it's and, hard to think about the next thing when you're still in the current thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm doing two current things, which I have done in the past, but not to this extent. You know, Firepower is the longest project I've ever done. And I'm doing it in addition to Jana, which is two long-term projects. And most of the time it was like, I'll start on Thor and I'll do four issues of this. And then I'm yeah. working on Daredevil and I'll do four or six issues of something else. And this is, you know, a lot more than that. Two long-term things at the yeah. same time. I mean, frankly, as a fan of your work, it was kind of shocking to learn it was going to happen at all. But then my understanding of the way you had the build up to firepower is you had a pretty big leeway. I don't know if there's mm. still a leeway there. It's the gap is getting smaller <laughs> by the month. Yeah. I, there, there was quite a, a cushion at the beginning and there was a cushion with Jonna too. Um, unfortunately the negative impacts of the pandemic on, you know, our work day have kind of negated a lot of that too. Um, when, you know, before we had kids, I could work, you know, 20 hours a day and just drink a bunch of coffee, oh, yeah. four hours and not have to worry about anything. You know, I just, I just keep plowing through. Yeah. And that's just not the reality we live in anymore. No, you know, everybody. It turns out it's a lot something. of work to have these kids, too. That yeah. is also a full time job. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Who to yeah. Bunk? Just the dishes and the laundry are a full-time job sometimes. Um, we have never met parents who made it look easy to us. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Don't be fooled by anyone who says it's easy. It's That's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, I mean, to keep bringing it back to the pandemic, which just really altered everyone's lives, obviously. But, you know, when you work from home and suddenly everything's at home, um, you're just not seeing the same kind of, you know, Chris isn't, at the table for the same amount of time that he used to be uninterrupted. Yeah, well, sure, even, sure. even days off aren't days off. I got, you know, three or four hours that I'm still going to work tonight. Once I get the kids in bed, this is, this is the day off, but yeah. you know, still stuff has to get done. Yeah. 
Well, we appreciate you coming on and chatting on your day off, Chris, <laughs> uh, and, and keeping the kids entertained with a movie while you're yeah. uh, zooming with comic book couples counseling. We'll tell the Patreon members which which movie it was. It was. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking mostly. That's the exclusive content. That's yes, right. That's right. Uh, so we do have a few questions from some listeners that uh, they would like to ask you if you're okay with that. Sure. Uh, Elliot uh, from at Elliot Comic Art, uh, his questions are for you both. What about the creative process was easier and more challenging than work when working with your partner? Well, we're always together. So finding the time to talk about work is pretty easy, um, I would say. And we, I mean, we know each other really well. Um, so that also is pretty easy. I do think that you know, work conflict and home conflict can kind of, you know, feed into each other a little bit. So if I'm already upset about something else, it's probably not the best time to, you know, get some work done. Um, what would you say? What's the easiest part about, about easiest, working with your partner, Chris? I mean, we always work together. Yeah. So like, I don't send an email without saying, hey, does this sound okay? Mm-hmm. You know, like... And that might be, you know... Well, not every email. You send pl- the ones that are important. Important emails. Yeah, important emails. We understand. Yeah. We're very much like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's helpful to have someone to bounce your words off of first. So, I mean, the, that's just naturally what we do. And it's like, does this page look okay? Does this make sense? The, does this dialogue make sense? And it's easy just because it's already what I do. You know, she's my conscience. She's, you know, like... My second set of eyes, she's everything. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, this is, I think the, sometimes the harder parts are harder because, you know, you're emotionally invested with the person as well as with the work. Um, But the easy parts are, I mean, you know, 20 years in, we have a pretty, pretty good shorthand. Yeah, yeah. We have a pretty good way of communicating and, you know, working with each other and, whether it's about who, you know, the dishes that need to get done or the kid's doctor's appointment or, you know, page 10 of, you know, John and number nine, it all kind of just is the same type of thing for us. Well, and, you know, we have an easy back and forth. We know what we, what we're headed towards with the book. And, yeah. you know, I feel like you and I work just as easily together as like Mark and I, after three years, you know, like we, we're always on the same page and we, we were heading towards the, the end point and, and that's why it worked so well. And you and I worked so well, cause we, we've been working together longer than Mark Wade. Yeah, right? decades. <laughs> yeah. Decades. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, this is a question from Macau Milan. Uh, and did you create this world with other media in mind, animation, game, live action, big dreams? <laughs> no. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to something like that, but the whole point of this was to make it the, what I wanted to draw and not have to think about any of that other stuff. Because like the, I feel like the best comics are intended just to be comic books. Mm-hmm. And I put all that stuff out of my mind when I was drawing it um, or when I was coming up with it, because I don't know that Jana would work in live action. I think it might look weird to have a real kid you know, and just torn up clothes going around punching monsters. Like maybe it'd be cool. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. But I think you also wanted to stay true to what you wanted to do as opposed to start, 
you know, how is this marketable as a, you know, as an animated, you know, show, or I, I just, I think once you start thinking through what other people will think, you lose track of what you think yourself. And I think that Chris, it was important to us that this be his vision and we're not introducing other opinions into it or other goals into it other than to just tell a really good story through comics. And if other stuff comes of it, great. But the whole point was to make it a comic book, yeah. just a comic book. And that's why the two page spreads are so, there are so many. Cause I, I like big two page spreads and I don't like digital. Sorry. I don't really <laughs> like reading comics on an iPad and on a, big computer even it's like eh, it doesn't it, i need the tactile holding a page when you open up a two-page spread that i want it to feel big and you don't really get that in movies or tv shows or or anything i wanted that that impact i feel like is in your hands and that that that's exciting that me. is something we notice in reading the comic book because we've we've read jana in all of the forms available we have read it as single issues we have read it as a trade paperback and we've read it in digital and um and you really have mastered the page turn where you do get that big pal of the two page spread and the single issue like the ability to lay it to lay on your belly and lay it out flat is like yeah. it's just the best way to read John. I think it's just like you. I get that. Like this is a flat comic vibe. I mean, I like the trade paperback. I love the paper quality that's on that trade paperback. But yeah, being but, able to f- put a splash flat on a table is well, there's nothing better. And that's how I read comics when I was a kid. I would lay on my stomach on a pillow from my bed, getting it all dirty or whatever, <laughs> and lay it flat on the floor. And that's the that's the kind of comic I wanted to make, where you know our kids do the same thing. They lay all their comics on the floor and read over it. And opening up a page in your face, it's big. It feels well, like a moment. There was there was also some discussion about the best way to publish the book and whether it should be done as volumes. And Chris really wanted you know, floppies. He really wanted that experience as part of it. And that's something that, you know, Oni was, you know, really on board with um, and was important. It has to be singles. That's how I grew up reading comics. That's how I think of them. And the collections are great, but it it always has to start at, you know, the 22 pager. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, so this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for taking the time and chatting with us even longer than we uh, initially planned. Thank you to you both so much. Uh, you've got Jana and the impossible monsters out there in the world right now. It's a product of your children as much as it is anything else. How do they see that like their role in your creation process of this comic book like when those comps come in it like do they feel like that ownership like you're saying like this is my comic book too our eight-year-old definitely uh, yeah is. our our middle daughter is she's like number one jana fan i mean she just she well like questionnaires for school it's like well, what's your favorite book jana, jana. <laughs> if you could do if you could make a toy what would it be jana. jana you know like if you could go anywhere where would it be yeah, I, I, I think she but. also, you know, identifies with a character that was based on her, you know, to be honest. I think she sees a lot of herself in the book, um, which helps. But I, I do think, I mean, I think they're proud of it. Um, I don't know how much they identify it as theirs, um, but I do think that they, they're very proud of the book. I think they're proud of, you know, the roles that they've played in inspiring the characters and, you know, 
don't know. I think you've got our eight-year-old spotting blacks every once in a while um, <laughs> so, or filling, filling yeah. blacks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like a family project. And I think they relate to that in, in, in that way. And they have a lot of pride that, you know, they're huge readers and they love to read comics. And I think that they feel really proud that they can show it off to their friends or, um, you know, we have copies at the library at school and, you know, stuff like that, where um, they, they have a little bit of ownership of it and uh, they have a lot of pride. And that's been cool. I just wonder what it's like, you know, with you, Chris, working out your fears over chickens and, you know, birds. <laughs> uh, if your kids are going to have nightmares about uh, <laughs> filling blacks. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, you, never, you never know how you're damaging your kids until they grow up and yeah. tell you. So uh, we'll, we'll wait and see on that one, I guess. Oh, my goodness. Lisa, do you have any last minute uh, questions? Um. No, I just want to bid for like 12, 12 issues. Not enough. A lot of questions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, same, same. Uh, and and for our listeners, uh, where can they find you online? I'll have links in all the show notes, but just in case they don't look at my show notes, where can they find you and continue this conversation? Um, I'm at Chris Omni on Instagram, at Chris Omni on Twitter, no underscores. Um, I don't have anything else I, online anymore. <laughs> there used to be like DVNR and my website and all that stuff, but we don't really Yeah, please don't anymore. go to the website. It's it like hasn't been updated. <laughs> Since our third child was born, <laughs> don't go to the website. Um, Got it. But yeah, I mean, I'm all besides Jonna. I'm doing Firepower monthly for Skybound slash Image, and uh, yeah, that's it. Laura. Um, yeah, I'm like really super private on Twitter. So <laughs> but you're, you're on Instagram. I, I do have, I have two Instagrams. I have a private one, which I've had for like a decade. And then I started a comic book one, which has one sole image on it. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I, I'm, I've dipped my toe in that water and then I quickly took it out and then I dipped my toe back in and now I'm just going to leave it there and see what happens. But um, yeah, my, my Instagram is uh, Laura underscore Somni. Um, that's the public one. So if you are into, there's just one image there. Yeah, for if, if, you, if you are into someone who never, ever posts anything, I have the account for you. <laughs> A low commitment account. <laughs> that's right. I will not put, uh, fill your feed with anything. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. We will uh, give you one like on that one photo and then we'll get out of Dodge. Oh, we have three accounts. We can be a little bit more generous than one like. <laughs> three likes. We got three, three likes. likes for you. Three likes to give. Thank you. Uh, but again, thank you for uh, joining Comic Book Couples Counseling. All right. Sure. Thank you Thanks so much. Us. It was exciting to be the first couple. On yes. the couple no, show. this is so rad. We didn't even talk about it, but like, it, I mean, this is something that we've we've been anticipating for a long time and when the two of you reached out to us, like we were literally like working up the courage of yeah, messaging like you. We have like our dream list of people <laughs> to be on. And then, uh, and you guys were on the top of that list. Lisa was making lunch when the message came in and I went like, Oh shit, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, um, if you want to hear us, uh, gush, uncontrollably which i know you don't like sticky stuff i just got gross but um <laughs> you should listen to the to the intro because we love you guys so much and we want to get into 
like, but we don't want to make you feel embarrassed. So, so yeah, so we don't do that in front of you. <laughs> but, but, but as soon as you guys leave, things get really sticky. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> on that note lisa you're welcome i'm gonna say goodbye to them one more time okay <laughs> chris and laura you thank you well, <laughs> thank you for having us and thank you for being so supportive of jana oh of course we love it thank you all right well thank you right, thank you guys take care Oh, gosh, Lisa, did you know they were a borders couple? <laughs> I wish we had known that beforehand. Oh, are you disgusted? <laughs> I always thought that the the kids who worked at borders were so much hipper than we were. Well, like mean, that, that Barnes and Noble were the real nerdy kids. And the, then if you wanted to wear jeans, you worked at, bar, at uh, borders. That is true. I mean, Lisa knows this. But the reason I applied originally to Barnes and Noble is because I loved borders books so much. And I just assumed that wherever I was going to end up working, I would grow to hate it. <laughs> and so I didn't want to work at Borders, so I chose Barnes & Noble. And little did I know how much I would end up loving working at Barnes & Noble. And also, I met Lisa there. That's Best right. decision I ever made in my entire life. Also, Barnes & Noble, still around for now. <laughs> Borders, long gone. I think that that adds to Borders' hipness, though. Like, it yeah. adds to their mystique. Like, of the two corporate entities, clearly they were they were cooler and too good for this world. Yeah. And once they went away, Barnes Noble was like, you could wear jeans now. <laughs> yeah, employees. I know. They, the employees nowadays, they have it yeah. so easy. Yeah, yeah. And then I left and I didn't get to wear jeans. I, I know, never me got neither. jeans at work. But we're wearing jeans now, though. Yeah. So I, I think, Brad, I mm. think we can say that we kept it pretty cool for 99.999% of this interview. <laughs> and then at the end, I decided to just get really weird. I mean, you got a little weird. I don't know. Like, I thought you were great in the conversation. Aww. I loved your point of view on it, as always. I thought it led to some really interesting avenues. I was, like, crazy nervous during the entire chat. And as you can hear in some of my conversations, like, it took me a long time <laughs> to speak around some of those questions. But uh, I'm... Oh, no! Great. Oh, I, well, thank you. Thank I don't you, think Lisa. anybody, I, like, I don't think anybody could tell that you were nervous. Well, I, I hope that is the case. And even if it's not the case, it's just how I was. It was really cool to talk to the Somnies about John and the Impossible Monsters, one of my, one of our favorite comic books out there right now. I hope I didn't make Chris feel like I don't love firepower because I do. <laughs> yeah, it's also great. Yeah, well, that why Kirkman do you think, guy is going places. Why do you think you made him feel bad about firepower? Because we kept on going on like, well, just put down whatever else oh, you're working on. Yeah, you told him to quit firepower <laughs> to do more Jada, and that's just where we're. That's just our hearts. It's a matter speaking. of priorities. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So that's gonna do it. I hope you had a great time. Please let us know. Tweet at us at CBCC Podcast. Thank please. you for your questions, by the way. Yes, yes. Thank you for the questions. We may incorporate more questions into our episodes. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, and yeah, if you did like this, though, please share this episode with your friends, your family, your coworkers. This is a big deal. We've gotten so many great guests on Comic Book Couples Counseling. We have more great guests coming already loaded up. You can find links in the show notes to our conversation with Nick Dragata and Caleb Goldner talking about their new comic from Image, Ghost Cage number one. It is a really rad chat. And of course we have, in the very near future, a conversation with Rance Hosley talking about the Tori Amos anthology, Little Earthquakes, and Lisa. Mm -hmm. Oni Press is back. We're chatting Orcs in Space. Orcs in Space with Michael Tanner and Francois Vigneault. Another great 
hyper-violent book for all ages. <laughs> I mean, we get into it with Michael and Francois. Orcs in Space, like, I do think of Orcs in Space as, like, an all-ages comic, but when you look at it, there is a lot of gore, some brains, some corpses of mice. I know eight-year-olds uh, professionally. <laughs> not not <laughs> Right? But, but if Profes- there's anybody loves a Because corpse- you're a teacher, Lisa. <laughs> you know them professionally as a teacher. Yeah, I didn't mean, like, on the streets. Um, <laughs> but, like, kids love and are curious about hyperviolence, and I think that a comic book is a really safe space to explore mortality. Yeah, yeah. Orcs in Space, pick it up. Uh, also, on the main feed, we are still talking Marco and Alana as seen in Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughn's saga. We just wrapped up trade paperback six and seven, and our next episode right here in the main feed will be on trade paperback volume eight, building towards volume nine, which is the climax that Lisa doesn't know about. Well, kind of, she sort of knows about it. For me, having the big thing spoiled has not at all ruined my reading experience. I mean, I have been in it with Saga. I'm like fully emotionally on the ride, even though I know that things get sad. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know the details of that big sad thing. And also you have many little sad things to look forward to. I'm kind of excited that Brad can, there's going to be a point where Brad stops lording over me, (laughs) that he's ahead of me in Saga. Just two weeks to go, Lisa, and you'll be all caught up. Because when we cover uh, paperback number nine, we'll also cover the most recent Saga issues that have uh, dropped. And uh, yeah, man, there's so much to talk about there, especially relationship-wise. So there you have it. But before we end, I think we should mention one more thing. Mm -hmm. Despite Brad and my and Chris and Laura's terrible example Mm. that worked out okay, if you work at a bookstore, don't be be hitting on your coworkers. (laughs) It's inappropriate. Yeah, Lisa and I do also have very bad versions of what oh, ultimately yeah. be, became a really beautiful thing. But uh, yeah, don't yeah. hit on your coworkers. Unless you're really no, sure. No, Brad, never. You should nope. never hit on your coworkers. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> Unless, right. of course, your coworker is your wife. Okay. Or your spouse. Okay, okay. All right, I I, I think I understand now, Lisa. Uh, so one last time, Jonna and the Unpossible Monsters Trade Paperback Volume 1 is out now. Volume 2 will be out April 6th. And Issue 9 of Jonna and the Impossible Monsters will be out April 20th. Okay, Brad, I'm ready to have some tummy time with our single issues. Oh, yeah. Um, So where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Ooh, thank you. I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk. Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. So many interviews. We're covering Sandman issue by issue. We've done 26 issues, 26 episodes. I love it so much. We've got so much rad stuff happening over at the Patreon. But... If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 
CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad You didn't like my little, like, I was doing the little fisties? No, I loved it. I loved it. It just it gave me the giggles, uh, and I could not contain them, clearly. Uh, we're a little punchy because we sleepy.